0: Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to the podcast. hope you are doing well in your part of the world. We are continuing our sermon series on our human emotions and the psalms called Inside Out. In a moment, I'm going to do, do my best to describe, actually, a clip from a movie that this whole sermon series is based on. But before I get to that, let me first read from... The text for today, this is Psalm 119, and I'm going to read through verses, or from verse 153 through verse 160. Here are these words. Look on my misery and rescue me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your justice. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, yet I do not swerve from your decrees. I look at the faithless with disgust, because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Preserve my life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances endures forever. May God's blessing be on the reading of this word. So on the link in the Podbean page, I'm going to put a about a minute, a little more than a minute clip of the actress Mindy Kaling. She is the voice of disgust. Um, I don't know if you got the chance to see the movie Inside Out. It came out last summer. It's a really wonderful Pixar movie that, in a sense, gives um, shape and form to different emotions that we all experience. I was doing a little bit of research on Inside Out. And uh, the creators of the movie went to a psychologist who talked about uh, different core emotions, and they decided, the movie makers decided to pare that down to five, and one of those, we've talked about two of them already in past weeks, we talked about fear the first week, and second we talked about, last week we talked about anger. And today we're talking about disgust. And so Mindy Kaling is uh, describing disgust and shows clips of the way disgust is, well, disgusted by different things in the movie. Things like uh, everything ranging from eat, having to eat broccoli to being seen in public with your parents. All of these different kinds of things. So if you haven't seen the movie, I would highly recommend it, but I'll put the clip so you can see just a little bit about what disgust is all about. You know, I thought a lot about disgust this week and things that I may have found uh, disgusting in lots of different ways, and it was interesting as I reflected on it. It used to be that a lot of my sermon illustrations came from my family, specifically my children, and that still is the case from time to time, but I think riding the train has overtaken my children as far as where I get sermon illustrations, because it seems like there's always something when you get on the train here in Chicago that is story-worthy. A few weeks ago, I got on the train and it was during kind of a rush hour, so usually it's more crowded and there's not a place to sit down. So I got on the train and I noticed that uh, there was one part of the train that was almost completely empty, and so many other people were on the other part of the train car. And I thought, well, this is kind of strange. And so I walked in and started walking to the empty part of the train, and then I immediately discovered uh, why people were on the other side of the train there was a homeless man who was sprawled out on probably three or four seats, and he was asleep. And the odor emanating from him was really just overpowering. I mean, this is more than your typical body odor that you may smell with people on the train. This was really, really strong. And so there was my gut reaction of like, I am not going to go near this. But there's a, I also thought, no, no, I'm going to... A, I can sit down, and B, I'm going to be here and just breathe through my mouth and be in the presence of this man and try not to judge him at all. And you could see as the train car would stop and people would come on and the looks on their faces as they got on, just these looks of disgust. Well, as we think about uh, our human emotions, and today as we think about discussed as we think about all of this through the lens of the book of Psalms just a reminder that the Psalms is there one of in the book of the a book of the Bible that's close to the middle of uh, of the scriptures and it's a collection of prayers and songs that are composed throughout Israel's history. As I noted last week there are five sections of the Psalms and many scholars believe these relate to the first five books of the Torah or what we as Christians would say sometimes the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament. And the thing about these psalms is they often get emotional. They don't pull any punches, which is one of the reasons why I love the psalm so much. So today we're taking a look at part of Psalm 119. We didn't read the whole thing because it's 176 verses long. Very, very long psalm. So we just took a section of it. And the psalmist mentions disgust here in this passage. Again, this is verse 158. He says this, I look at the faithless with disgust because, here's the because, because they do not keep your commands. So as with many scriptures, any pieces of scripture, uh, it's important to get context of what this is all about and what he is talking about. Sometimes some people have looked at the psalmist, the person who wrote Psalm 119, and say, well, here's somebody who's very judgmental. And you can pick this up even in a little bit of this passage that we read today. But as I read through the whole psalm, it it reminded me, he reminded me a lot of Hermione Granger. For those of you who have either read the Harry Potter books or have seen the movie, uh, the movies, for those who don't know who Hermione Granger is, she is perhaps the smartest student in Hogwarts, this school of wizards that Harry Potter attends along with his friends. Hermione, along with Ron Weasley, make up this really triumvirate of great, great friends, and the focus of the books and movies often are on the three of them. Hermione is very brilliant, very smart, and does all she can to continue to remain smart. She loves to read, and she loves to know more, and she loves to get knowledge. And occasionally she likes to also show her knowledge, maybe in ways that rub some people the wrong way. And at times you can kind of tell that she judges perhaps others who don't read as much and they don't know as much as she does, and yet she has a good heart because she loves knowledge, and she likes to do what she can with this knowledge in order to do good things, so the psalmist, you can when you read through the whole psalm, this is somebody who loves God, someone who loves God's commandments, and does all he can to try to learn more. In verse eleven, near the beginning of this, the psalmist says, "I treasure your word in my heart." Over and over again, the psalmist says how much he loves God, how much he loves the commandments of God, and then sometimes that then spills over when he sees those who do not obey the commandments. It spills over into verses like the one I just read from 158. I look at the faithless, faithless, those who don't keep their commands with disgust. He's disappointed. He's angry at the injustice, in a sense, of those who don't keep their commands, and the psalmist keeps going back to God saying, I, on the other hand, keep your commands And I don't think it's out of a a sense of uh, maybe, you know, it's impossible to know what was in the psalmist's mind or what's in his framework. Perhaps there's a little bit of I'm better than them because I do keep the commands. But I think it's also just because he loves the commandments. He loves God. He loves learning from God so much that sometimes that spills over into disgust at those who don't. It's as if the psalmist is saying they don't know what they're missing here. They don't know what they're missing and yet the psalmist also knows, and this is the very last verse in this psalm, 176, he says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. So he also keeps track of himself and knows that he doesn't always follow in ways that he would like. So this is what we have here. This, for this psalmist discussed is felt when he sees others who don't love God, don't love the commandments as much as he did, because perhaps he feels like they're missing out on something. So I think it's important to talk about what is disgust. One definition says this, that disgust is a feeling of revulsion or profound disapproval aroused by something unpleasant or offensive. A feeling of revulsion or profound disapproval aroused by something unpleasant or offensive. So in the movie clip that if you go on and take a look at, this stemmed from anything from uh, disgust was uh, was felt from eating broccoli or fashion taste or sleeping on a sleeping bag on a dirty floor. As I noted earlier, mom and dad embarrassing you. All of these things stemmed from what disgust is. The roots of this word really comes from uh, the Latin, uh, the word, or the first part, Dis, D-I-S, means reversal. And gustus, G-U-S-T-U-S, means taste. So going away from perhaps good taste, that's what disgust means. Now in some ways, like some of the other emotions we've talked about, anger and fear, disgust can be helpful. In some ways it can be a a neutral emotion. It's how what we do with it. So for example, if you see something in the refrigerator that looks bad, it smells bad, your body is telling you, and you're disgusted by it, you're, this is one way your body is saying, don't eat this. This is only going to get worse. If you think the smell is bad, imagine what will happen if you actually eat this, right? So disgust can be something that's helpful for us. The issue is when we conflate the thing that disgusts us onto the humanity of another person. So when we are disgusted, not just with a thing, but with somebody else, and then we let that taint the way we see the individual and we see that person's humanity. So there was, I was reading this week of this article about disgust, and in 2012, a team of academics from Europe and the U.S. published a paper that took, this was interesting, took a look at the role disgust plays and how someone votes or their political orientation. So for example, the research said there were three types of disgust, interpersonal disgust, and that comes from, so for example, the feeling that you may get when you drink from the same cup as someone else. There's core disgust, and that's the kind of response that you would see maybe to vomit or dirty toilets. My apologies if I'm bringing about gag reflexes for you. And there's also what they call animal reminder disgust. And that's how we react to corpses or blood or anything that evokes our animal nature. So that these three core pieces of, of disgust. So the researchers wrote that disgust serves to discourage us, as they noted earlier, from ingesting noxious or dangerous substances. That's the good it can do. But what happens is that it also plays a role in people making moral and social judgments. Those who, they say, they found, those who feel more disgusted by unpleasant images, smells, or tastes tend to judge more harshly those that violate their subjective moral code. So it has evolved. Disgust has evolved, not just to help us in keeping us healthy so that we don't eat contaminated food, but then it has transferred over the years into this feeling like I don't want to be contaminated by being around certain kinds of people. If you want an example of how this has kind of played out, I think you have to look at Donald Trump in this political season. Now, my apologies for those of you who follow Donald Trump, who are fans of Donald Trump. I'm going to try not to uh, express my own opinions about Donald Trump here. But it's interesting to kind of see. Now, in the research that I did, Donald Trump is a self-avowed germaphobe that he he washes his hands all the time. He has gone on record saying he's not a big fan of handshaking. And in this campaign it 's interesting on how he sometimes take something that would be for some people disgusting, so in his mind, normal bodily functions like going to the bathroom, he criticized Hillary Clinton for having to go to the bathroom during a democratic debate uh, A few years ago, a reporter has to be excused because she had to go pump because she was breastfeeding, and he said you 're disgusting." to her. He talks about Marco Rubio's sweat. And if you notice this in the debates, you talk about Marco Rubio sweating so much all the time. And it's, I don't know if he does this on purpose or not, but he takes this, these things that disgust him and then he conflates them on moral judgment on others. So he's getting at this base instinct and then he's putting it on an individual or a group of people. Now I don't know if he's, again, I don't know if he's doing this on purpose or if it's just a way for him that we see how disgust works in Donald Trump's mind. But this is the thing about so many different emotions. There's that initial thing that can help us, and then we let it overtake us to where we are expressing judgment or we are assuming something about another individual. We're letting our emotions take over. And so that's the thing about, as we reflect on emotions, so often I think we're, we're asked and we're called to reflect on it and not let it overtake how we perceive other people. So Jesus shows us a better way. We read over and over in the Gospels this sense of people who are unclean. And this can range from lepers to those who are possessed by demons to women to children. And so uh, Jesus then does over and over again, shows how one is to respond. One who follows God should respond to people who are considered unclean. So here's a parable. This is from Luke 18, and Jesus uses a parable to talk about uh, to others who had convinced themselves that they were righteous and who looked on everyone else with disgust. So Jesus tells the story. He says two people went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, one was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself with these words, God, I thank you. I thank you that I'm not like everyone else, crooks, evildoers, adulterers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of everything I receive. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to look toward heaven. Rather, he struck his chest and said, God, show mercy to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this person went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. So Jesus took an opportunity. Here's a Pharisee, one who was kind of a religious fanatic, and looked at someone else. And you could tell this religious authority was just filled with disgust at this tax collector because he didn't follow God's laws, because he didn't do all these different things. And yet Jesus flips things around saying, actually, this tax collector is the one who's the hero in the story. He's the one who shows humility. He's the one who wants mercy in his heart. And so imagine as people are hearing this and they're thinking to themselves, how can it be that someone who's disgusting He's the hero in this story. Jesus does this again and again and again and flips things around so that in society people would say, well, this person is disgusting because X, Y, and Z. And Jesus says, no, actually, this is the one for whom the kingdom of heaven is for. So what do we do with that in our own lives? What do we and how do we make sense of this? How do we respond in our own ways? When we think about people who might disgust us because of what they believe or because of who they are or because of uh, how they conduct themselves. So I think we need to check ourselves and we ask ourselves the question, do we desire, do we desire purity so that we can avoid disgust and easily feel community? I only want to be with people who are like me, who believe like me, who have the same kind of uh, bodily... Uh, Healthy hygiene perhaps. So we might see to ourselves, we see someone and we think to ourselves, well, I dress better than that person. I smell better than that person. My body and my mind looks better. I believe better. I have the right, a better political feelings than this other person. And I think we need to catch ourselves because then we may elevate ourselves to the, like the Pharisee in this gospel story that Jesus tells us, because I do all of these things better because this person disgusts me, because I have a a higher uh, sense of being, because I feel profound disapproval for this other one, then we elevate ourselves and we make the other one less than. We let this disgust overtake and cloud how we perceive this other person. How does that work in your own life? How do you need to check yourself? When you might feel disgust or profound disapproval towards somebody else, I've been in the ministry now for almost 20 years, and uh, one of the first, uh, the first church I was at was in a small western suburb here in the Chicago area, a small church. Um, one of the most profound learning experiences, certainly for me, as it is with any person who's pastor of a, who's pastoring a, a church for the first time. But I went to visit this one elderly couple. They didn't get out much. And I knew that especially the the woman, uh, it was a man and a wife, and the woman's health was not great. They had uh, really a wonderful personality, but, uh, and I'm going to, I'll call them um, uh, Frank and Amy. That's not their real names, but for this story, I'm going to use their names, Frank and Amy. And so I went to visit them one day, and I had not really had a chance to go and visit them at their home ever. So I went to visit them, and as soon as I, I got in, and Frank opened the door and welcomed me in, and the first thought was just the, the whole home was just a mess. It was uh, part hoarder and part people uh, of them uh, unable to really keep the home clean. And so I was a little grossed out at first when I first walked into the home, and my first reaction was not necessarily disgust at Frank and Amy, but just anger and disgust with their children because their children lived in the area. And I kept thinking, why are they not doing anything to help their parents in this way? And so that was clouding my judgment. And so as I sat down to visit with them and when I was there, Amy was really not all there. I can't remember if she was, um, if the first forms of dementia were coming upon her. But, as I was visiting them in kind of the squalor of this home, and i so I was listening and, and trying to call upon any kind of pastoral semblance that i that I had in the ministry at that point in time and then Frank turned to me and and asked me if I would be he said, "Amy needs to be changed, and I could tell kind of by the smell that this was the case. And he was too weak to be able to do that by himself. I don't know if there were social workers or others who came in to help them. But he turned to me and asked me if I would help change her. And I think, again, especially when you're in your first church, in a ministry for the first time you have so many experiences where you were thinking they did not teach us this in seminary they did not say this would be part of the deal i think it's probably true in so many jobs but that was my my gut reaction and then my gut reaction too it was like oh, i don't a i'm kind of a little grossed out by this the one of those levels of disgust and b i felt a little embarrassed as well because clearly i was going to have to see uh, amy naked in order for me to help Frank in this way. And so there was a part of me was like, mm, should, is, this, is this right? Should I be doing this? But clearly Frank was needing help. And so I decided to say, okay, I'll help you. And it was one of the most profound experiences for me in so many different ways. But as I reflect on it today, I thought that the word that keeps coming to mind for me is incarnation. Is Incarnation. And this is one of the most definitive things about the Christian faith is that God becomes flesh in the body and life of Jesus. In the body and life of Jesus who had all of the bodily functions that one has in life. That's incarnation. I think sometimes when we think about incarnation when we think about Jesus, we tend to sanitize and we don't get the fleshiness of who he was and how he lived his life. And I think sometimes perhaps that lets us or that gives us a sense of the the body is bad or that incarnation is bad or certain parts of being human are bad. And as I was helping Frank to change Amy, I mean, on the one hand, I'm not going to say it was like this really heavenly sacred act, but that word incarnation kept coming through my mind. Like this is part of what it means to be human. And I didn't let disgust cloud how I saw either of them, but instead to just be so very present in the midst of it. And to see God is here in the midst of something that initially I felt like was disgusting. But hopefully, I had a sense as I was going through this of like the psalmist letting my love for god also affect my love for this couple and so as i'm doing this i thought i i'm no better than them maybe one day this will be me that i will have to be changed and then i was able to put aside i'm not my couple's i'm not this couple's children i can't assume anything about what's going on in their own lives so i did not in that moment let that emotion get the better of my being present. And so, the next time you feel disgust, check it. Pay attention to it. Now, certainly there are times, of course, where we can't ignore it. We should use it so that we're not eating things that would cause us uh, to have food poisoning. But to pay attention to it, and this is good advice for all the emotions and then we cannot just go on autopilot and let them take over how we view other people, whether it's fear or anger or disgust. So we ask ourselves the question, what's going on here? Is, it, is my disgust well placed? Will there be physical harm to me or to someone else with this feeling? And if that's the case, then how do I act on that? Or do I take this feeling of disgust and does it creep to a place where I'm elevating myself above somebody else while lowering them in the same process, that I'm judging them and thinking I'm better than them because dot, dot, dot. Or when we have this feeling and check it and reflect on it and ask questions about it, then do we go out of our way like Jesus says, to show mercy above all else to show mercy and let the love of God, which is what the psalmist here, this powerful love of God, then we take that love of God and instead of occasionally saying, Well, those who don't follow the commandments, those who don't do certain things disgust us, instead we transform that and say, Actually, they are the ones that we are with. They are the ones that Jesus was with. And these are the ones that we are called to be with and be present with at the same time, too. Is our gut instinct to withdraw or to welcome? That's the question I think that God has for us. Amen. Be thou well, friends, thank you once again for listening Lord to these reflections. I hope you are doing well and where, wherever you are. Uh, as always, reach out to me. Chris at urbanvillagechurch.org, on Twitter at Christian Kuhn. And I'm always happy to connect and answer any questions that you may have or be there for you in this way. And so I'll be back next week as we continue the sermon series. And until then, may the peace of Christ be with you. Be thou my wisdom and thou my.